This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. What is the purpose of life and living? This is something that many of us tend to ask ourselves at one point or another. Ikigai is a Japanese concept referring to something that gives a person a sense of purpose or meaning. But how do you identify your Ikigai? I'm Darshan Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Dr. Eugene T. He's an Associate Professor in Psychology. Welcome back to the show, Eugene. How have you been? Darshan, I've been well. So good to be speaking with you again today. Thank you for having me. Let's start with um, an overview. What is Ikigai? So Ikigai is, as you have correctly identified, it's a Japanese concept or word specifically that comprises two characters, actually. Mm -hmm. Life is the first character and to be worthwhile. So it is more popularly understood, however, because of the countless books that have been written on the topic. So it's been understood as that which gives life a sense of worth, meaning or purpose, like you have identified, or more colloquially, the reason you get out of bed every morning. Mm. Um, some recent scientific evidence, however, which I'm sure we'll get to, uh, defines the term a little bit differently. So I would define it a little bit differently as well, given some of the recent scientific developments on the topic and having done a bit of a review on the concept of Ikigai. So just very quickly, the experience of having Ikigai is the experience of having a life that is worth living. Mm. It's the experience Right, and I stress the word experience here, experience of seeing one's life as affirming and vibrant. It's experience of receiving genuine care from close relationships where one is allowed to, free to express themselves authentically. And last but not least, it's the experience of life that is meaningfully connected to one's past while also driving us, motivating, motivating us to lead a desirable future state. Right. Let's dive into that a little bit more. What problems um, uh, does Ikigai get, uh, aim to address? And what is it trying to achieve specifically? I think part of the answer you've uh, shared earlier on right. is a sense of meaning. <laughs> so just a quick historical overview. Right. The concept of Ikigai and, uh, was first introduced by a psychiatrist in Japan in the 1960s, Meiko Kamiya. Mm-hmm. And she herself drew inspiration from Viktor Frankl's man's search for meaning. So I have a personal view that as our worlds change socially, technologically, politically, we'll find ourselves with an abundance of options and opportunities to craft the lives that we want. Mm. Uh, Some positive psychologists have highlighted that we're at an era or an age where we're experiencing the waxing of the self and the waning of the commons. It's a very poetic way of saying an emphasis on the individual. And, you know, if our rates of loneliness around the world are anything to go by, we seem to have lost that sense of community and connection. So I'll say we also have a larger network of social connections thanks to technology. But Mm -hmm. I think all these advances and improvements have come at a price, not least of all, a cost to our mental health. We see social media driving disconnections and misinformation, and many of us struggle with carving out a sense of meaning in our lives. So I would say, I think we are already seeing people experiencing a loss of attention because of distractions, loss of connections, and a loss of meaning. So the experience of the life that we currently have, or the ones that we're going through right now, 
may not necessarily be the ones that we wish for or hope for. It seems right. to be something that prompts us to reflect upon the bygone good old days. I'm reminded of a quote, right, as I mm -hmm. cap off this answer, and it's from the uh, Pixar movie Soul. If you've seen that, it's an yes, movie. wonderful movie, wonderful movie, right? So there, there's this line that really, if I remember nothing from the movie, it's this line that I remember. And it's a question that was posed to the audience: Is all this living worth dying for? Mm. I think it is. And what living a life well experience involves, what an ikigai filled life is, if we identify what it is that we care to wish for, hope to experience more of, I think that can really help us cover a greater sense of enjoyment, purpose, and meaning in the lives that we, we lead. Dr. Eugene, what is your opinion of the concept of Ikigai? Because I'm sure you've studied, uh, you, you, I mean, you've definitely studied this. You've also studied, you know, sort of different uh, um, concepts, philosophies when it comes to, you know, uh, finding your, your purpose or your meaning in life. Uh, how, how do you rate the concept of Ikigai? I personally, Dashwin, find that there is a lot of wisdom and a mm. lot of um, well, my own personal interest as well, but I would say a lot of wisdom in mm. which relating to and helpful in promoting well-being that importantly exists outside the English language. Right. So one of the founders of the field of positive psychology, Chris Peterson, he quotes, and I've just lifted this quote because I think it's such an important point. Mm -hmm. He says that the notion, the term ikigai is a good reminder to positive psychologists in the US or in the English speaking world, that the science of well being is not just an export business. No language has the monopoly on the vocabulary for describing the good life. Mm. So, Ikigai is just one of the many concepts, right? We can think about concepts such as Kuga, Lagom from Scandinavia and Nordic countries, right? But just from Japan alone, Ikigai is just one of the concepts from Japan that I've taken note of. And I'm interested in because of its associations with well-being. Others include, and perhaps this is for another show, mm -hmm. other terms include mono no aware, shinin yoku, kaizen. And on the flip side of well-being, Dashan, you would have heard kodokushi and karoshi. Right. I think that's... A lot of interesting things that we can dive into in future podcasts, uh, oh, Eugene, absolutely. definitely. Yeah, it sounds very exciting. Now, um, you know, originally, um, there were four elements or concepts under this Ikigai um, philosophy, if you will, which is finding the balance between what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs, and what you can be paid for. But later it was found, um, and, and this is what you pointed out to me um, when we were discussing this off-air, um, it was find, found out that this was not very scientifically valid, and there are now new approaches to Ikigai. Now, before we touch on the new approaches, could you explain what was wrong, or what were the flaws with the old model? So, um, as intuitive as it was, and many of us, uh, you might have also picked up a book by Garcia right. Morales that talks about these four overlapping circles. Mm -hmm. And I would also willingly admit that prior to this new model, which we'll discuss in a bit, that I also presented Ikigai in that way because that was the best available model or theory at the time. So, Dashan, as intuitive as it is, the four overlapping circles model is not based on and I've learned this maybe within the last year or so. Um, as far as I can tell, 
on any empirical evidence. So scholars and curators wow. have traced this four overlapping circles, right? We'll call it the four overlapping circles model. Mm -hmm. This definition of Ikigai to actually the work of an entrepreneur, uh, and his name is Eric Wynn, right? So you know me well enough, Dashwan, right? To know that I always follow the theory and the evidence. Absolutely. Best available evidence. And when we have a better, more empirically sound definition of what Ikigai is, then we go with that, right? Mm -hmm. But um, in short, it's not scientifically backed. Uh, the model and idea, though, uh, is intuitive. I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due. And it really did help launch the interest on Ikigai and help sell a lot of books as well. So now let's talk about the new model. What uh, what are the concepts and how did the scientific community arrive at these? Because the new model has three sort of um, um, layers to it, right? As I understand, all, all sort of um, three elements to it. Um, how did the scientific community arrive at these? You got that right, Dash. So mm -hmm. the theory of Ikigai comprises three elements. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the first one is valued experiences, experiences that we personally find valuable. What researchers who developed this model calls in Japanese, keiken. Mm -hmm. The second concept as part of this new model is valued relationships. So in the same vein as things that we personally value, uh, we turn our attention to relationships. The Japanese term for this is ibasho, which literally, I think it's quite interesting if you think about the Japanese language, the literal translation of ibasho is the place where one feels that they belong. And maybe mm. just tickle your curiosity a little bit, Dashan, and our dear listeners. Home is people. It's not a physical All right. Isn't it? And the third concept is called hokosei, literally a sense of directionness. There's no such term, but you can hold it in mind. It's a sense that there is a direction, there is a momentum in my life. So once again, valued experiences, valued relationships, and a sense of life directionality. So very intriguing, and we're going to dive into each element of this model. But before that, let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Dr. Eugene T. He's an associate professor in psychology. We will be back with more after these messages on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Dr. Eugene T. He's an associate professor in psychology and we're talking about Ikigai. So Eugene, now let's, um, you, you've given a very um, nice overview of this new model of Ikigai. So the first one is valued experiences. Could you unpack this for me? Valued experiences are simply any actions, any activities that one engages in and they derive just, for the lack of better terms, right, just value from it. So just to unpack it even further, they comprise activities that elicit anything from enjoyment. It could be a sense of effort and striving, novelty and stimulation. So travel falls nicely into that criteria. You're just sharing me about your recent trip, right? So All I right. believe that is a valued experience for you. And also a sense of comfort. So just to repeat that, Activities that elicit enjoyment, a sort of effort of striving, 
novelty of stimulation or the sense of comfort. So it's interesting to note that when we think about these valued experiences, we're not saying that these all need to necessarily make us feel positive, pleasant emotions, upbeat, joyful all the time. So there's a lot of nice nuances to what we deem to be valued experiences. So a couple of examples might be helpful here. Um, Participating in challenging college university events, choosing to study abroad can be such experiences. Just yesterday, I was having a chat with my mom and she was telling me stories about how she left her hometown to brave it out in the city back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like to use this quote because I find it quite useful to get an understanding of valued experiences. Quote me on this because I coined this, right? It's, it's <laughs> kind of like it's kind of like sampling life experiences as you would in a buffet. And no one will say that they've experienced all of the flavors in their life by only going to the dessert bar. Mm, I think that's really wonderfully put. But would you then also say that it is um, when you talk about valued experiences? Um, it is subjective and, and it differs from person to person. Absolutely. If you look around, you see, oh, I don't know. I often like to use the example of people running marathons, right? And mm-hmm. that is, to me, the best way to put hell on my oh my, my, God. my limbs. <laughs> I will never, never, never in a million years. And I'm someone, I, I actually enjoy working out. I enjoy sports, mm-hmm. cross countries, marathon. Mm-hmm. Oh, half yeah. marathons never i will never <laughs> <laughs> you you and me both that's right right so you'll find like marathons are a great example right uh, they also people tend to take on challenging passion projects right uh they they say yes to inter- international assignments or job postings in countries or in industries that they may have little or no experience in they might i don't know they might even volunteer right so that's another a uh, good example. And these can all be stressful. They might also lead to some sense of uncertainty and even suffering. But I think, I suspect, right, the interesting thing about valued experiences is that people choose what they want to suffer through. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yes, we we desire less of unchosen, unwanted, uncaused suffering, if you will. But we we do put ourselves through right. the, the sort of challenges. And so my valued weekend morning hike could very well be someone's idea of hell is then getting up on a Sunday morning and 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 going for a hike, which I just did yesterday. Um, so people value different experiences and they are willingly going to do things that others might find deeply unpleasant or fulfilling. But but and I think here's the kicker, uh, friend. But I think they do it anyway because deep down they seem to understand, at least at an implicit or subconscious level, that these are experiences that they value. They know deep down that when they look back at it all, they will find that, wow, I'm I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I was brave enough to mm. do that, right? So as an excellent book on this, which I can recommend, it's called yeah. The Sweet Spot by Paul Bloom. And he calls these chosen sufferings. The uh, comic artist, uh, Matthew Inman, better known as The Oatmeal. I'm sure you have fans <laughs> of The Oatmeal at PFM. Uh, he has a book called The Weird and Wonderful Reasons Why I Run. And that's, that's you know, a story of him running until his, his, I think his skin peels off, or his toenails falls off, and how his lungs are just screaming for oxygen. But he does it anyway, right? So I think it beautifully captures these two books, right? 
this idea that we choose our experiences and it's not necessarily just the experiences that lead to a happy, maybe not even at that point in time, a meaningful life. I suspect that when we think about Ikigai in this way, Mm -hmm. what we want is a psychologically rich life, a life that is well and truly fully experienced. So that's interesting, right? I'm also very curious. And and perhaps this is this question can also in and of itself be explored on a podcast on its own. But just for the purpose of this topic, I'm wondering, you know, we do live in a climate, especially heightened because of social media, of this FOMO culture of, you know, um, people looking at uh, influencers who don't really care about art. Some, for example, posting pictures of art gallery. And then like everyone's like, oh my God, if I don't go to this art gallery, am I missing out something in life? You know, these kind of things. How do you navigate this idea of find valued experiences that is true to yourself without sort of being swayed left and right um, by ideas of or what you perceive to be valued experiences? I suspect that you're going to ask this question. <laughs> I'll share very briefly, though. I, I think there is an antidote to what you call the fear of missing out or form, mm-hmm. as it's more mm-hmm. popularly known, right? There is the antidote to that is called JOMO, right? <laughs> the joy <laughs> of missing out. So other people's experiences, other people's value experiences may not be your own. And I think the right. motivation for you to participate in what you see on social media might actually be driven a lot more by the fear of missing out, but just to spin it around to say, hey, am I missing out very much on, you know me, I'm actually not very active on social media. If I'm active at all, right. I recently <laughs> downloaded and uninstalled Instagram again for, for personal reasons, right? Uh, but really to think about the joy of missing out on things that may not necessarily bring to you that subjective sense of personal fulfillment or joy, mm. and then finding things that really do bring that to you. And one clue uh, to that would be the memories that you cherish. Right? Mm. I'll give you more suggestions on how we can do that in a bit. But for now, maybe just hold in mind, Dashran, the best days, right? You were talking about your trip recently. It's something that you want to repeat, right? Right. That's a clue. That's a valued experience. If you went with someone, you 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 remember the interactions with the, the friendly people in the country that you visited, right? Those are essentially clues to the experiences that you will want more of, even if they're not the ones that are being popularized on social media. Right. The second element of this um, new model of Ikigai, I think is very fascinating, right? Because it feels like it's completely glossed over in the first model uh, or or it's perhaps not even taken into consideration, right? And this idea is authentic or valued relationships. How would you define this and why is it important? So... Other people matter, as I quote Chris Peterson, again, one of the co-founders of positive psychology. But you would know that hell is other people. <laughs> Part of experiencing Ikigai is authentic relationships. And you're spot on there, Dashran, in highlighting and pinpointing the fact that, hey, there's nothing in the four overlapping circles model. There's not even that much in more Western conceptions mm. of meaning in life about the other, right. isn't it? But part of the Ikigai experience, at least according to this new theory, uh, comprises is that it also comprises authentic relationships. And by definition, these are relationships where you feel that you can safely express your truest, your authentic self. You feel valued and you care for. 
So the research in, into this particular aspect of Ikigai tells us that one of the outcomes of these authentic relationships is a sense of self-authenticity. So that relationship allows us to be our plain vanilla self, so to speak, right? If I right. can just another term there. <laughs> and, and to also importantly perceive the sense of unconditional care for the other. So much of our relationships might seem more transactional. I scratch your bank, you scratch mine. Sure, there are norms of reciprocity that govern our interactions with others, especially in a personal setting. But I think the truest, most authentic relationships are, are you know, those in which we can be plain mm -hmm. our true self and to be accepted, to know that we matter without the other considering the relationship for anything uh, of, uh, say, personal gain. So think about our relationships as we bring this back to a more practical perspective. Think about relationships with others, right, that you value. It's a friendship, a, a sense of camaraderie with a group of friends that you want to hold on to. You definitely want to see yourself as lifelong friends. And these will give you insights into the uh, kinds of relationships and the connections that you want to hold on to, certainly, and nurture for your ikigai. So these can be pretty much anyone in your life, right? It can be your closest family members, or it may not be your family members at all. It could be your Absolutely. friends, colleagues, and so on and so forth. Our closest friends are the family we choose for ourselves, mm -hmm. isn't that right? So friends sometimes do see those sides of us um, a lot more than our, maybe some members of our family would, right? So you're, you're right. I would just say the simple answer to that is yes, it can be people outside of your own uh, family. So now the last aspect of the new model of Ikigai is, at least to me, it sounds the, the most abstract, which is life directionality. Now, this is such a big thing, right? Life direction. What does that mean? How do you see this? So life directionality is the, I'd see what's a non-technical term I can use. It's a time-related component, the temporal component right. of Ikigai. So let's break it down a little bit further. Uh, it's a sense that we see our past, our present, and our future as meaningfully connected, not just an accumulation of random experiences, right? So if you look back on your life, right, just go along with this, Darshan, mm -hmm. back on your life, pause, key events in your past, pause for a while, come back to the present, peer into, peek into, catch a glimpse of the future you want. Mm. What do you see? So if you reflect, long enough, if you look hard enough, there is always a thread, right? no matter how thin, the string right. that connects the different time points in your life, the experiences from your time before BFM, the time even before that, when you were studying your current travel experiences, the kind of journey that you wish to embark on over the next couple of years, having that sense of temporality, that, that meaningful, coherent connection between these different time points that's what I'm referring to and what I've understood as life directionality. It's a thread, in short, that forms a meaningful life story. Right? So, life directionality. Sorry, go on. So would you say that hmm. this is sort of like recognizing that one incident in your life led to another? I'm trying to understand why is this thread, uh, either uh, recognizing that there's a thread, why is it important? I think we seek a coherent narrative. And mm. that's a clunky term for saying that I want my life story to be connected, even if my even if it does comprise and many of our lives do comprise 
different chapters, isn't it? The chapters in which we were growing up, our adolescence, our young adulthoods, our, 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 our first job, right? Uh, marriage, significant life events. We, we derive a lot of sense of coherence, the sense of interpretability. That's the, another kind of term. I'm trying to break this down even further by saying that our story makes sense. Right. Our life story makes sense to me. Those things that happened before, I could not see the meaning. I could not see the, the value of why I was put through this, this, this terrible incident or why I experienced that sense of failure or loss, right? But we try to assemble it. And when we have that coherence in our life story, that leads not just to a greater sense of purpose, but also overall greater well-being. So life direction, I think, allows us to acknowledge, appreciate, and of course, celebrate the past, how it has helped us shape ourselves, how it's grown us. It also helps us connect the dots to key moments in our lives so that we craft a meaningful path for ourselves moving forward. And it just crossed my mind that, mm -hmm. um, you know, this new conception of Ikigai reflects a more of what we call a holistic view of right. time. When we think about Western conceptions of meaning in life, it always tends to revolve around looking forward. What's next? What's the future I want? Right. Where am I going from this point forward? So with Eastern philosophies and Eastern thought, so to speak, right? Those steeped in uh, Eastern culture, we tend to have a more holistic view of time. The past also defines us. And I think we need to acknowledge, celebrate, recognize these aspects of the past, its connection to our present, and also links to the future that we want so that we can experience uh, Ikigai. It certainly sounds more reflective, right? But I, I do, how, how do you approach this life directionality part? Because, for example, if you look at valued experiences, that's mm -hmm. like, um, broadly speaking, it's quite simple in the sense like, you know, you, we talk about holidays, we talk about the books we love to read, the movies we love to to watch, um, you know, all sorts of different experiences in, in life um, which you find valuable. Um, and then authentic relationships, um, the people you trust, the people, like you said, where you can be yourself. But when it comes to this life directionality, are we basically saying, okay, sit down and reflect on how you got where you are today and, and try to, to, to write a cohesive story? Or are we saying, okay, when you look to the future, um, when before you take your next step, uh, sort of reflect on how you got here and make sure your next step is, is within a particular direction. What is this? like? How do you approach this life directionality thing? You've got it, Dasha. And actually, what you've just described is just one of the many ways I feel, given the available evidence of how we can craft that sense of direction. I think there's a great sense of personal agency as well, isn't it? Mm -hmm. To say that life does not happen to you, but you can choose the kind of life that you want, given the sense of, okay, where am I going right now? Okay, so I've been, for instance, I'll just use myself as an example. I've been in this line of work for a good maybe 12, 13 years now. And where am I headed? Am I always going to be doing the same thing? Uh, am I just going to go through the routine of my day-to-day -day life? And as much as that brings me comfort, I feel that at times that, you know, that, that's, that maybe other things that I can do, speaking to you and speaking to members of the general public, speaking to the media on topics which I personally find fascinating. That's something that I've only explored within the last five, six years or so. Right. And suddenly you've helped me along with that. Isn't it? But before that, I would connect that to, hey, how am I going to make 
the the research and the evidence from psychological science accessible to mm. people hearing it from the first time. So I see that to be a threat, as from the lecture room to the recording studio. Right. In the sense that hey, this is what I feel is a valued experience. And you talked about writing and reflecting. Certainly, by the end of today, Dashwan, I'm going to be writing and reflecting mm. on our conversation here today. And I, I think that just creates the kind of story that wow, that was. It was such a great conversation that made my day. I really enjoyed chatting with Dashan. He asked such interesting questions, right? That's a component of value relationships there as well, right? Right. Bring it all together. And I think it can be both to answer the last part of that question, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's the life that is meaningfully connected to what you have already lived, but certainly the kind of uh, opportunity to create a life that you do want, just looking into the, uh, the coming months, if not the coming years. It also sounds to me, um, you know, that this new model um, is a lot more um, outward looking compared to, let's say, the old model of Ikigai, um, which sounds very individualistic and and perhaps even uh, centered uh, around your career. Um, Is that a fair assessment of this? I think that's not only a fair assessment, but it's an important one. So Mm. I think it's very interesting to challenge notions that ikigai revolves around work career or it certainly can it certainly can but i don't think that's the only part of it again it's about the experiences and just to go back to the definition it's the life worth living right so even in the absence of the ability to make a grand difference in the world you can have ikigai another book recommendation uh oliver berkman four thousand weeks time management for mortals right and Mm -hmm. he proposes something called cosmic insignificance therapy and it can actually be very liberating to know that you know what maybe i'm not going to cure cancer maybe i'm never going to make pun in a law for maybe i'm never going to be you know um invent the next big thing right or be the mover and shaker of this one particular industry i would say i I think that's a you know a sense of gentle humility right that comes with this new understanding of ikigai and how it revolves around cherish treasured experiences once children for instance and many people derive a lot of pleasure and meaning uh, from having one's children be the source of one's ikigai i i know of a friend right i'm just reminded of her um, who says that her husband is her source of ikigai and that caring for him brings her a lot of meaning and joy i know of another friend who travels regularly with his wife and Mm -hmm. together the collected experiences brings them such a deep sense of fulfillment, memories only, and when they look back in their journeys together. I'll also say that one key addition, you've already pointed this out earlier on, is that this new theory of Ikigai, um, which we don't see in previous models, mm-hmm. uh, or even in Western conceptions, is the authentic relationships element. Right, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So a well-lived life, a well-experienced life, usually would not come in isolation or in, in in solitude. True, we might want to pull away sometimes, right? But no man, no woman is an island. So when we when we share and we have those cherished experiences with others, that really infuses our life with a lot of significance, purpose, meaning outside of the career and achievements context. So you're right. You're right in saying that um, this new model acknowledges more clearly the importance of one's closest, truest relationships than previous ideas about Ikigai. And so this new model, like you've rightly um, said, right, is less individualistic uh, than the ones that came before. 
So understanding Ikigai is one thing. How do we go about identifying your Ikigai? To answer this question, Dasha, I want you to play along. Okay. <laughs> I want you to enjoy listening so that you can do this. Um, if your hands are free to do so, mm-hmm. grab a hold of your phone. Okay. Right. We do this almost every day, mindlessly. Let's do it mindfully <laughs> this time. Grab a hold of your phone, check your photo reels and pictures you've collected over the years. We okay. don't have all the time for this, right? But I just want you to go ahead and pick out five to 10, maybe set them aside. And these five to 10 photos represent days that you would be happy to revisit and to relive again. Mm. If you did this, right? You might be thinking, oh, wow, what a day. This was memorable. This was a right. cherished, life-changing event. I'm going to make a couple of predictions as you go through your phone. Okay. I guess that the pictures you selected were oftentimes pictures of travels, mm-hmm. outings, could be work accomplishments, certainly. Right. I'm also, going, I'm also going to guess that the pictures would feature family, friends, colleagues that you value. They're also political rallies. There we go. Hey, in my response to that, Nashrin, right, I'm going to ask you to think. That picture would have featured an event that changed you. Yeah. Yes. Right. For the better. So I think optimistically, we already have an implicit understanding of what makes our life worth living from the photos that we have taken of said events and Mm -hmm. experiences. Set those photos aside. You can write about them, but certainly don't need to. You can reflect on them. And I'll just round off by saying that what you just did was essentially how researchers came up with this new theory of Ikigai. I would just round it off by saying that I think you, we already know what makes life worth living and what it feels like. We just need to be reminded of it. That's such an interesting way of approaching it, isn't it? Just looking at your photos. Sometimes people like to complicate things, mm-hmm. but sometimes just looking at your photos, you can already know what's valuable yeah. to you. I think that's Absolutely. very interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, how does the concept of Ikigai relate to well-being, happiness, uh, and and mental health. You, you've touched on this throughout the conversation, but perhaps just dive into it a little bit more. Mm. So there have been numerous studies that show linkages, associations, mm-hmm. statistical correlations between Ikigai and longevity. Right? So the popular Blue Zones Live to 100 series that's airing on Netflix right now tells us a little bit about that and uh, the links between long life and having Ikigai. Uh, Many of these studies, however, they simply rely on a single item. And that item is, Nashran, do you have Ikigai? Because it's implied, it's understood. Many of these studies, incidentally, are also conducted um, in in Japan using Japanese samples. So if we expand on on this a little bit more, we're starting to see that Ikigai is related to well-being, the well-being, happiness, mental health literature more generally. Um, People who have a sense, the experience of Ikigai, report having a higher sense of energy, of zest, of liveliness, and all this leads to greater well-being overall. And numerous larger scale studies, these are what we call cohort studies, and they track, you know, um, data pertaining to health and of course, Ikigai over time. And they found that Ikigai is associated with lower mortality. You live longer if you have more valued experiences. You also have lower risk of cardiovascular disease mm. and greater psychological well-being outcomes. So experiencing Ikigai means living life as an adventure, a journey to be lived, an existence to be savored, and all this contributes to better health and better psychological well-being and functioning. 
So we discussed earlier uh, in the first half of the show about the weaknesses or limitations of the old model of mm. Ikigai. Um, based on your analysis and, and research, do, do you see any limitations in the new concept of Ikigai? Absolutely. I, mm-hmm. I think are just the frontiers of the science of Ikigai as far as I am aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the initial stages, surely there's room for uh, refinement of the theory. I, I think the, these three are central. There could be other elements. I'm not sure if further research is needed. Uh, so I would say that at you know my first response to that will be that there will still be a lot of research. And I think research needs to be done to further um, examine this model. Another limitation I should say is that this theory comes from a, a rather small, modest number of Japanese students. So it will be interesting, and I'm in, in, involved in this research as well to examine uh, the relevance of the term of Ikigai in a Southeast Asian context. So interesting to see if, you know, um, in a non-Japanese context where the valued experiences are identical, what do we mean by value relationships, sense of life directionality, how that is also shaped and molded by culture. Um, and and this is really at the sort of like the boundaries of what I do know of, right? But I also suspect, um, like in many concepts in psychology, there might be Yashran drumroll, a dark side to ikigai. So at least, right. at least one Japanese author, right, um, has referred to this idea of one having an antisocial ikigai. So your valued experiences might be something that you pursue or engage in that actually leads to negative outcomes for those around you. We don't know anything about this. I, I've not come across any writings in English that speak about this dark side of Ikigai, but uh, it seems plausible enough for me to, to say, hey, um, worthy of future consideration and research. That's so fascinating. I'm also wondering if the concept of Ikigai addresses, let's say, issues of socioeconomic status, right? And, and inequality and how that may impact one's ability to find their ikigai in the first place. Um, if you don't have access to clean water, healthcare, good schools, basic necessities, um, how do you even approach the concept of ikigai? Um, certainly, I would acknowledge that some individuals will find it more challenging given, say, as you correctly pointed out, their situations, their circumstances, socioeconomic challenges, uh, poverty, the, these all undeniably right, uh, reduce their opportunities for well-being. Mm-hmm. And I really don't mean to discount or to be naive to these challenges, but I'll say that given some of the research out there, that it's not necessarily those who are the most rich or individuals from rich economies or societies or who have all the luxuries and conveniences of everyday life. In fact, there have been at least one study that I can think of where individuals report greater sense of meaning, even if they're not necessarily those from rich developing or developed economies. So if we go back to the definition of Ikigai, it is a life worth living, a life worth experiencing. Mm. And and so then the life is filled more with, you know, uh, with with a greater sense of fulfillment and well-being if they have more of such well-being experiences. You don't need to be, you know, be be CEO or partner of a law firm. It can mean being a good parent. A lot of people derive sense of ikigai from being a, a caring parent, being there for their children, being there for their friends, um, it does not require you to change the world. I, I, I'm not sure whether this comes as a surprise to many of us mm-hmm. listening in. It can simply mean offering your skills to your community, your skills, your talents, your times to helping forge and bridge the connections between yourself and your community members. 
the uh, Blue Zones uh, docuseries by Dan Buettner on Netflix, I think that speaks this idea that longevity, community, these can all be Ikigai field experiences. And you'll find them in places, in countries, in economies that are not necessarily those that we would consider to be affluent. I think that's really wonderfully put. And before we wrap this conversation up, Eugene, would you have a final, some final thoughts or a final message for us? Sure, I'll summarize this into just three sentences. The unexamined life is not worth living, true. But the unlived life is not worth experiencing either. So live your life experiencing the kinds of things that would help you create a collage of the happy, the meaningful, and the colorful in whatever composition of the three you wish to have for your life. Eugene, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Dashran. Enjoy this thoroughly. That was Dr. Eugene T. He's an associate professor in psychology. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.